Welcome to the Wealth YOS show, the perfect place for women founders and CEOs to get inspired and empowered to make their dreams come true. My name is Nancy Florence. I'm a business coach, psychotherapist, author, and mother. As women entrepreneurs, we all want to feel confident and supported in getting the right mindset for success. If you're looking to grow your business and your team in a balanced and sustainable way, this is the perfect spot for you. On today's episode is the one and only Rick Utten. Rick is a really funny Australian dude. He also happens to be a really successful property entrepreneur. And he wrote a book called How to Get People to Give You Money. If you're in business, any business, I beg you to get your hands on this book as soon as possible. Rick is a master in communications, human psychology, sales, negotiation, and you'll learn a ton. In today's episode, he shares with us golden nuggets of wisdom on how to create clients, how to negotiate, and how to sell more. So enjoy. All right, Rick, thank you so much for accepting my invitation. It's a real honor to have you on the show today. Right. Thanks, buddy. I read your book, um, How to Get People to Give You Money. Give You Money, yes. When your book came out, I thought, at last, a recutting book, because I made loads of notes when I was studying with you. Um, I got loads of golden nuggets of wisdom. Um, I still remember the video of you. I think you were in Egypt and you were trying to demonstrate the power of silence. And uh, <laughs> you, um, you were negotiating with this chap at the market and you kept saying nothing and you kept saying nothing uh -huh. and the price kept going down. Um, it's actually available on YouTube. It's brilliant. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the podcast notes. But what I meant to say was at last a book that distills all of the Recotton's magic um yeah thank you thank you so much for this i want to talk about the book today i want to talk about communication because um in terms of communication sales uh newer linguistic programming you're in my opinion one of the best in the world so today i'm gonna ask you some really good questions i'm gonna pick your brain and get all of the good stuff out of you is that okay that's okay yeah that's okay. that's funny you talk about nlp Someone said to me about 20, 25 years ago, have you ever done an NLP course? And I actually didn't know what NLP was because I've been studying the science since I was 19. We never called it NLP science 40 years ago. I was going, oh, what's NLP? And he told me, I was going, oh, I don't know. I just do what I do. But it was just funny. It had a name. I didn't realize that till 20 years ago. Yep. <laughs> so let me ask you something, Rick. This chap in the book, Barry, Barry is you, yes. right? Oh, I would not. Jeez, that's interesting you should say that. Um, I would just say Barry's a character by which everybody can identify. And if you want people to learn something, there's a number of different tools you need to use, but you've got to give people identification so they can get the aha and then they can apply it to something. So I introduced Barry and his family so that, because um, if you remember quite often, I used to say, if I want to explain a point, I'd say, look, and I'd bring it back to Boy Meets School because most people are either boy or a girl, and they could relate to the point that I was making. So I've introduced Barry and his wife so that people can, when I make a point in the book, they go, oh, yeah, okay, just like Barry. And everybody has a Barry in their life, and everybody has Barry's wife that's like Betty. Awesome. But some people have said to me, is that you? Like, oh. Yeah, he looks a bit oh. like you. He looks a bit like you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I love about um, Barry and Betty is that you know, you're giving communication skills that are directly applicable to marriage. I remember a part of the book where I think she wants to go to the beach for the day. And right. I think Barry's uh, watching football or something and he's really busy. And you're, you're teaching the wife how to get her husband to go and spend the day on the beach. Yes. And yeah, there's a skill around that. Yeah. One of the things that people say to Jane and I, they go, you guys have been married for 30 years. You've only had about three fights. And I was like, well, yeah, because if you can see the fight coming down the road, best thing you can do is just step to one side. Most people just go headlong into it, right? Well, mm -hmm. let's face it. So 
I've always just been teaching skills of like, if you know how people's brains work and how they think through information, then what you can do is you can structure what you do in return for that. And everybody just lives happy ever after and no one really has an argument. So, yeah. So Rick, I wanted to tell you uh, a bit more about my clients and the people that are going to be listening to this podcast. Um, they are uh, service business owners. They are uh, freelancers, coaches, consultants, web designers, interior designers. Um, and a lot of them are hustling on Instagram and LinkedIn, trying to yeah. get clients. And um, what we teach in our program, Fully Booked, is we teach people how to get clients um, through the service approach. So what we do is we skip the sales process and we go straight to service. In other words, instead of having conversations with people about the program we sell, the product, we go straight to, hey, how's it going? What's your problem? How can I help? And we roll up our sleeves and we, and we start serving from the get-go. And often those service conversations lead to enrollments because we never talk about the program and the features. We never get into sales mode. We simply slow down and we take the time to understand what the problem is. And this approach uh, has largely been inspired by what you taught me because you explained that if someone wants to sell something, uh, they shouldn't focus on the strategy. Nobody's interested in a strategy uh, or a solution. Um, if, if someone tries to sell something, they should really focus on what the problem is. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah. See, most people don't understand what people want. Okay, quite often you say to people, you know, why do you, what do you want? And people say money. And I say, in order, in order to do what? And then they say, well, it gives me freedom. And I say, freedom to do what? And then they start telling me what freedom is in their mind. And they go, well, spend more time at home with my kids, travel the world, or lie on the beach. So in actual fact, you don't want money at all. In actual fact, you don't want a tool set that makes money. What you want is a way to lie on the beach, spend more time with your kids or travel the world. We go, well, yeah. So therefore, if that's what you want, which is the result, what you really need is a way to get from here to there as fast, as quickly as possible. So quite often we concentrate on the tools and we actually don't want the tools. We want the result of having the tools. I was having a conversation with a gentleman today in the United States and I was reading a transcript of a conversation he had somebody about buying their business. And he had said to the seller, look, I can do this for you. I can do this, 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 this. And I said, let me guess. The seller said he wants to think about it. And he said, yeah, how do you know? He said, because that is not what the seller wants. What the seller wants is a way by which he can throw the keys on the kitchen counter as he walks out. You walk in, he walks out and never has to think about this business again. Mm -hmm. That's what he wants. All the stuff, which is how you're going to do it, is actually not what people want. People want the benefit of what you know, not what you know. Quite often we get caught up talking to people about what we know. People don't care about what we know. They just want the benefit of what we know. Mm -hmm. So you know, quite often I see uh, you know, people go, oh, I can do this for you and do this for you and do this for you and do this for you. And they say, yeah, but what's the actual result and the outcome you're looking for? And then when you, that's a different question. When you give people and find out what's the outcome and the result they're looking for, then you'll find you'll structure everything you do very, very differently. So I used to say to you guys, I'm all about there's a problem and there's a solution, right? So thing is, let's just find the solution. Let's not get caught up in all what I call the stuff. So there's concept, concept is big picture. And then there's the detail and there's the stuff. Well, why don't we get on board first and get everybody to agree with the concept of what the destination has to look like and just look like um, the fastest, most efficient way to get to the destination, which quite often means not all this other stuff. And unfortunately, I have to probably give you lots and lots of examples around that. And I'm just trying to think in, okay, 
in the coaching business. Okay, coaches will say, hey, I tell you what, if I'm customer and I'm looking at all the coaches, and uh, we've got to remember, you've got to have a point of difference. If you don't have a point of difference, you're the same as 5,000 other people advertising on the internet to be a coach. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's my question. What do you think, if we have all these people advertising to be a coach, what do you think the customers want? Do you think they want the, the, all the tools and all the courses and all the programs that the coach has? Or do you think they just want the result? The result. They're not interested the in the surgery, oh. in the tools. Yeah. Right. right, the result. Okay, so let's talk about the results. And do you think people measure results by how it makes them feel or by what they know? How it makes them feel. It's how they feel, correct. Nobody makes any decisions in life based on logic. Mm -hmm. Everybody makes every decision in life based on emotion, how it makes them feel. If they made decisions on logic, we'd all be single. Here's the thing. We know, therefore... (laughs) <laughs> if people will do a course and it's all about the result, it's based on how it makes them feel, yeah. then one of the things you've got to have to be a good coach is a mission statement, a reason for people to follow you, a reason for where are you going to take them to. People want to join people who are going somewhere on a mission. Everybody, humans are not designed to live in isolation. We're designed to be part of a herd that we all follow. We all follow our football team. Or we all go to the pub with our friends on Friday night. Or we all do this. We all want to follow and be a part of something. We all want to join tribes. Therefore, coach that says, follow me and I'll take you to the X, whatever X is, will get a lot more people following them and wanting to be a part of that to experience that feeling rather than, hey, I've got a home study course. Mm-hmm. And it'll teach you these tools. You understand? Because you've got to remember, I'm a consumer. I'm out there watching all these coaches and they're all advertising and they're all doing this and they all got these tools. So how do I benefit from that? Great, these tools. Now I've got to understand all these tools. But what I don't, that's not what I want. I want the result, which is, man, I feel really great being a part of this team. And if you remember, one of the reasons my business was so successful, and I remember this, I used to always have the mission statement. And the mission statement was, um, my mission statement was I wanted to change the world on the way we buy and sell houses. I think the way under which we buy and sell houses now is dated. It's blah, 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 blah. And I think it's possible that we should be able to redesign things so that it makes it easier for people to buy houses, blah, blah, blah. And for house, blah, 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 blah. And that was my mission statement. Everyone, yeah, let's get aboard that. So everybody was getting aboard the mission statement. And quite often, people would buy my courses and they'd come up to me and they'd go, I want to buy your course on blah. And I'd say... Yeah, but you don't even know what Blair is. Why do you want to buy that course? I don't know. I just want to be a part of it. Yeah. Right? And that's the reason I bought so, your courses. Yeah. So be a part of a movement. Give people a direction and where you're going and something for people to follow and believe in and take them with you. People want that more. So you think about people, remember, people make decisions based on how things make them feel, not what they actually are. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, one of the questions you asked me is um, how do you get more clients? Well, you, you've got to be, the, the average person gets 1,500 messages a day. That's how many marketing messages you get a day. And Facebook is full of ads. Another coach, another coach, another coach. I think every second person's a life coach. So let me ask you something. How do I pick the difference between life coach A, B, C, D, E, F, G? We think that the way we pick the difference is by saying, hey, my course is longer. My course is more intensive. My course offers this. My course offers that. But here's the problem with that. As far as I'm the customer, the coach thinks I'm getting value. I'm the customer. I think I'm getting work. Do I really want to go back to work? Do I really want to learn something? I want the result of the learning. I want the benefit of it. But when people say, hey, I have a home study course and you can learn and you go, I don't want to learn anything. I tell you what I want to do. How about you just download some stuff so I can get you to make some money? People love to download stuff so they can make money. You know why? Because I don't have to learn anything. I just download it. So it's not about the tools, right? It's not about the course. It's not about all this. 
people don't want that. What's the result? Where are we going? Where are you going to take me? How am I going to feel? Do you know what? If you want to I tell you what, I can't give you any courses, but if you want to own the world, how about we down, down, we'll download some bits and pieces and let's get there as fast as we can. How'd that make you feel? And that's why, if you remember, one of the things I always used to say in any sentence was, if I stated something, I said, just suppose we could do that. So you could do that. How'd that make you feel? And people would go, yeah, that made me feel great. How fast do you want to experience that feeling? Today. Fantastic. There's the piece of paper. I'll look after that and I'll look after you. Mm -hmm. People used to say, but people used to say, what'd you get? Oh, I don't know what I was getting, but man, I feel great. I remember once I did this talk about 20 years ago, 25 years ago. It was in New Zealand, in Queenstown. And I finished speaking. And this entire room ran to the back of the room. It was by all my staff, whatever it was at the time, it was 30 years ago. And I said to the promoter at the time, I said, maybe I'm selling my stuff too cheap. And he said, mate, I don't think any person in this room knows what they're buying. They just want what you got. But no one actually knew what they were signing up for. Because they were just signing out for the journey and how it made them feel, rather than I've got 61 podcasts or I've got 20 books and I've got a manual, right? Mm -hmm. Because remember, if I'm a coach and I've, and I'm, and I've got this tool set of what I'm going to give you, I'm now speaking to that customer's logical brain who's going to compare, compare all the tools I have compared to all the other tools all the other coaches have. And I'm asking them with the front bit of their brain that you talk about in the book, right? Yeah, correct. Well, that's right. I've got to move them into frontal lobe right now. They're in reptilian brain. So we're going to talk about that in a section, the different parts of the brain and what you can do. But right now, whilst the person is in research mode, okay, and the brain is in research mode and it, and it gathers information, okay, it's in logic mode, it will never make a decision to do anything. But it'll research, it'll get more information, it'll interview all the coaches. But whilst it's in that frame, it will not make a decision to do anything. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. The brain has to be switched to the emotional side of the mind, which then makes the decisions. And you've got to remember one bit, because I'm going to take you a little bit deeper, and this is why I wrote the book. Most people think, right, and this is going to be the guru moment, the people are going to go, wow, that podcast is so different. <laughs> Most people think the brain makes decisions. The brain actually does not take, make any decisions at all. The subconscious mind makes all the decisions and gives the instruction to the brain, which is the conscious mind, to go and do something. Let me give you an example. If you walk down a dark alley and you think it's dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. You're not feeling good about it, right? What are you going to do? Change paths. Correct, correct. But did your subconscious brain change the path or did the subconscious send an instruction to the brain and says, find a way to coordinate the arms and the legs and get me out of here because I'm not feeling good. Yeah, the subconscious. Now, if you want, correct. So what happens is the subconscious, if you're in love, you're in love with somebody, your brain doesn't fall in love. Your subconscious falls in love and says to the brain, listen, I'm feeling I'm in love with it. Could you find a way to do something with the body, maybe move our lips together or put your arms around her? So the, the conscious <laughs> brain is the secretary but the boss is the subconscious. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. And this is where people don't get it. They speak to someone's brain, but the brain never makes decisions. The brain carries out actions under instruction of what's given to it by the subconscious. Subconscious feels a certain way, love, hate, fear, wealth, greed, whatever it is. And then the brain does certain things with the mouth and talking in the body to fulfill the obligations given to it by its subconscious. So if you understand that, every time you talk to the secretary, people always say, don't speak to the secretary. She makes no decisions. The boss makes the decisions and gives the commands to the secretary as to either attorney's phone call because the boss says, look, make an appointment with this guy or get rid of him. We'll do that. And the secretary says, I'm sorry, Mr. Smith is busy for the next seven years. Won't be able to see you. You get that from the secretary. But who made the decision? The boss did, you understand? Mm -hmm. So once you get this, the subconscious always is in charge of the brain, always makes the decisions for the brain. 
just instructs the brain what to do as a result of how the subconscious feels. So is the subconscious the same as um, the heart, the heart brain or the gut brain? Uh, yeah, 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 correct. That's all feeling. Yeah, it's all subconscious. Yeah. Mm. But you see, the subconscious can't make you kiss somebody. That's the brain's job to tell the head to move it, come close to the other person. Now, if you come close to someone and you don't know this person at all, okay, then what happens is you come up to a stranger very close, right? Like in an elevator. Well, the other person will probably move back, okay? Now, that's not because one brain said to the other brain, uh, uh, you're two inches apart, move apart. Just the subconscious did not feel comfortable and mm -hmm. is given instruction to the brain, could you move back two inches? I will feel more comfortable. Now, where I'm taking you is this. The reason I wrote that book, I wanted to write a book that has never, ever, ever been written anywhere. Every book I've ever read on sales, marketing, communication, influence, persuasion, and all this stuff is writing it for the conscious brain, for, the, for, for people who read for the conscious brain. Except the conscious brain doesn't make any decisions at all. It's all made by the subconscious that then issues instructions to the conscious from the subconscious. Therefore, when I wrote that book and why it's so different in its style of writing, the structure of the words and the phrasing and everything was designed to influence the subconscious, knowing that that's the boss and it can tell the conscious to do whatever I want it to do. So let me ask you how this translates on Instagram, for example, because I see a lot of consultants, service providers who want to position themselves as the expert. They want to show off yes. their knowledge. They come on with posts and lives to talk about what they know. And, mm -hmm. and you're saying, no, uh, one should speak in mum's and dad's language. One yeah. shouldn't be non-intimidating, non-threatening. Um, so, so how does this work for someone who wants to consult, coach? Um, how does one will increase the expert to become more approachable? Because okay. something you said is that that really stayed with me is you said, you know, if you if you're seen to know more, you will be threatening. So yeah. you don't want to appear to know better. I'm a thick and spider span. Okay, regardless of how old we are. The way the brain processes information is at the sophistication of about a 12-year-old. Even if we're 35, 45, 55, it means we just take longer to process. So what happens is when I use 12-year-old language with you, you'll process it very quickly, very fast. You'll understand what I'm talking about. You'll process very quick. If I get very sophisticated with my language and I use a lot of language, you'll understand it, but your processing comes slower as different parts of your brain have to come together, have a boardroom meeting, just check what I was actually saying, go to a reference library, go, yep, that word means this, blah, blah. Now, as this processing goes on, and I'm still delivering information, okay, you can't process at the speed because I'm speaking in a more sophisticated style about the 12-year-old. So guess what you'll say to me? Gee, Rick, that sounds great. Let me think about it and get back to you, which is a nice way of saying, I can't process all this right now. So I need more time. So let me think about it and get back to you. That's why I always deliver information to a 12-year-old. The other thing is too, if I deliver information to you that you cannot process at the speed at which you're reading it or the speed at which I'm telling it, you'll get anxious. Mm. If you ever watch people who get anxious or dog anxiety, what do you think happens to the human body when we introduce anxiety? It shuts down. And if the body shuts down, what can it not do? It can't engage. It tenses up. Can't, yeah, correct. Can't make decisions. A person who's in a state of anxiety or is anxious cannot make decisions. Mm -hmm. It's just not possible for the brain to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Anything. The pop heart, nothing. So when you feel anxious about something, right? You, you want space, but you just can't make a decision. So if you understand that, if I'm spending money in Instagram or any sort of written materials, I've got to deliver the information in such a way that you can be processing easily and I cannot allow anxiety to creep in 
by me trying to deliver it to you in such a way that you can't easily absorb it. So if I use lots of jargon or words you don't want to understand. Let me give you two stories around this to make the point, okay? Mm-hmm. About 25 years ago, about 20, 25 years ago, I needed shutters for my house because the sun was always coming in. I said, now I need some shutters. So I ran out the shutter company. I said, can you put some shutters in? I said, sure. The guy comes over and he brings over a young sales assistant as well as himself. And I said, well, I need some shutters. He said, well, I got one question for you. Do you want metal shutters or wood shutters? I said, ah, wood shutters. He says, great, be 3,000 bucks and you can have them in like 10 days and the heat won't come in. I said, great, sounds good, 3,000 bucks, where do I sign? I was just about to sign. But the junior person said, well, if we're putting in the wood shutters, what type of wood would you like? I said, what do you mean? <laughs> said, well, we have teak wood, but he said, if we use teak wood, it won't really hold the varnish because that'll be then. then we have a harder wood, which is okay, except it'll crack and the wood will split under the sun. He went through to tell me about the 17 different wooden styles that I could have shutters and the difference that it would have to the heat, the cold, cracking, paint, re-varnish, blah, blah, blah. Which one do you think I decided on? You didn't buy the shutters, did you? I didn't buy the shutters. 20 years later, I'm still in the house, no shutters. I'm too scared to get the shutter man to come back, <laughs> right? Because I was so in such a state of anxiety and not wanting to make the right decision. It was like, Do you know what? See, that's great information. Let me process that and I'll get straight back to you. 20 years, I never got back she to you. never did. I'm scared to put shutters in my house. Do you understand? So, because once you create this creative anxiety, so this is why you gotta, whenever you write this stuff, stuff a lot of stuff i write and even when you read my books um and i learned this many years ago from a guy called alan pease who wrote the famous body language book i mean and i was working with al from the time i was 19 mm-hmm. is that you know you keep everything two syllables eight words so people never get tired when they you know, so they easily read that way if a book's easier to read you read it when a book's hard to read you read the first five pages and you go oh i'm gonna be tired i tell you what i'll read that later and you never get back to finishing the book you understand so, so there was a science to writing that. Um, the other story I want to tell you is, um, which relates to the same thing. Uh, actually, no, it doesn't. It relates to something else I'll, I'll share with you a little bit later. So, okay. So the, th- the question is, when you write all the stuff about what you've got and what you are and who you are on Instagram, no one takes it from the perspective of me, the customer. How are you any different from the next person. Mm-hmm. And the other question that I'm also going to ask myself as the customer, I know you're telling me all this, but who else thinks so? Yep, social proof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who else thinks so? You can tell me whatever you want, but who else thinks so? So, you know, and then I, I believe that the, the greatest and the best marketing machine you'll ever have, and you can't beat it, is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't tell me, you can't, it doesn't matter how much you, great you tell me about the average. They say, I remember uh, when you knew me, we used to get a customer, but the customer would have to know about me, hear about me seven different times from seven different people, places, reading, commentary, something from somewhere before they were going to spend the sort of money they spent with me. Now, that was a lot of money, but people just don't walk up to you and go, hey, we got, no way, here's 35,000 bucks. It doesn't work that way. People have to hear about you for a long, long time for them in their own mind, for you to cut through the clutter and for, for you to get there. You, you understand? So that takes time. Well, but that's exactly you know. why I decided to hire you a few years ago because you came recommended by someone else who kept talking about yeah. you over yeah. and over again. So quite often, if I'm... People always want the best. So let's say I want something done, Right. When you want something done, let's say you want something in your house, you want a plumber, okay? You'll probably say to your friend, hey, listen, let me ask you something. Who's a good plumber? You'll never say, hey, who's a bad plumber? Hey, listen, um, I need a plumber. Do you know an average one? No, everybody always looks for the best. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. So therefore, everybody always pays for the best. So it takes time for the marketplace to decide you're the best. And when you are, you can charge anything you want because no one ever has a heart attack on the side of the road and says, get me to the cheapest doctor. So if you understand that, 
that what it means is people got to hear about you for, for, for a certain amount of time. And as they do that, um, your reputation is just better. It just can't happen overnight. So you can tell all the people you want on Instagram what you got. Mm, but, you know, I'm not too sure that sort of... I just haven't heard many people say to me, I ran this ad on Instagram and uh, you're probably wondering why I'm living in this castle right now. You know, well, how did you get the castle? Well, I ran this ad. This uh, I wrote this thing on Instagram and so much money came in, I've got a castle. True. Yeah. Yep. So about what you said, nobody's going to ask for the cheapest doctor when doctor. they're having a heart attack. Right. Um, a lot of my clients are met with the same objection over and over again, which is, I'd love to, but I can't afford it. Now, that's not what they're really saying. We all have the same amount of money. What they're really saying is, I haven't seen a value exchange yet by which I'm prepared to allocate resources for you. So we all have the same amount of money, right? So when people say I haven't got to afford it, that's what's called a social um, nice way of saying no, okay? Which says, you in my mind haven't, uh, like if I only have so much resources, I'm going to sprinkle them out certain places. For me to give you my resources, which is my money, you've got to prove to me that you're more of a priority over other issues. So people can always afford it. People, 30, 30 years ago, I wanted to go and see a guy speak in Las Vegas. Janie and I did. We had no money. Right? And we could say, we couldn't afford it. Couldn't afford it. But you know what? We begged, borrowed, stole, did everything we could to find the $5,000 in 1997 to go and see a guy in Las Vegas. Now, mm -hmm. it was probably the best $5,000 I've ever spent. I made millions off the back of that, right? But you know what? None of us can ever afford anything. It's whether or not we want to take the inclination, the time and the effort. So people say, I can't afford it. Now, what they say, they can't afford you. They can afford the guy down the street and they can afford somebody else. But what they're really saying really nicely is that you haven't proved to me yet that it's worth my while of allocated resources to give to you. One of the things um, that I found was very interesting, um, people want sometimes want private money. And they say to me, they go, how do I get people to lend me private money? And mm -hmm. I say, you can't. You can't put out a brochure. You can't do any, and you'll, everybody will tell you how they've got no private money. But you've got to earn it. Because when you're around long enough and people can see what you can do, then people will come and offer you their private money. And I remember once there was this photocopy shop in a place called Milson's Point. I've been buying houses or something for years. And uh, the guy said to me one day, yeah, you're buying houses and selling houses and doing up and all this. Yeah, yeah. And I'd been doing it for years. Years later, I went to get some of the photocopy shop. He said, Rick, let me ask you something. Just suppose I had a lazy $700,000. What would you do with it? Which was a nice way of saying that I'm thinking about giving you my $700,000 for you to invest. Well, that comes to you. Now, as a result, you get one private lender who lends you money, okay? Here's what will always happen. Within about three or four months, you'll have 10 private lenders ring you up and want to give you money. What happened? It was because the one guy was making money by dealing with you and the mm -hmm. other nine people wanted to get in on that. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. It's not that they read a brochure. It's the nine people who said, what have you been doing? So, oh, mate, I was this guy called Rick Otten and I lent him some money. He's been doing this, 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 this. I go, man, how do I get in? Really? How do I get involved with that? They didn't actually get involved with Rick Otten. They got involved with their friend because they knew the friend, do you understand? Mm -hmm. So they were buying into what the friend buys into. So in answer to your question, yeah, do I really want to afford it? The question they're really saying is, it's not that they can't afford it. They're really saying, do I really want to afford it? Because if people really want to afford it, they'll afford it. Did you say that we all have the same amount of money or the same access to money? Is that what you said? No, what I was saying in general, resources, okay? Like the ability to get resources, uh -huh. whatever that looks like, we're all the same, right? It's, it's like I'm making a generic comment to sort of say to you, obviously they can't afford it. 
you can say to the richest man in the world, if he doesn't want to do it, he's the richest man in the world, he will say, oh, look, I can't really afford it right now. <laughs> the poorest man will say, I can't really afford it right now. It doesn't matter who you say that to, regardless of how much money they have, mm -hmm. they say, look, I can't really afford it right now. Now, what they're saying to you is, I don't really want to afford it right now because I'm not too sure where the value exchange is. What's in it for me? What's the value exchange here? Okay, so I'm going to learn some tools. Okay, so like that's not yeah, what they want. You're going to take me where, and you're going to take me where, and how am I going to make, and how's it going to make me feel? Because if I can't experience that, I'm not going to move forward. Mm -hmm. You're taking me where, and how's it going to make me feel? Yeah, because remember, people they do want when people hang out with people for a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great. Give me a hand with a fill. Let me ask you something. I don't want to go to the Barbados. I want to experience the suntan. Mm -hmm. Right? I want to experience the sunburn. What about the island? So... I think the original question was, you've got lots of clients, how do you get more clients? Well, yep. look at it from the person's perspective, okay? If I'm going to be, like, you're going to coach me. Now, if it comes across, I'm going to do all this work. Uh, no one wants to do any work anymore, right? Everybody wants to just download everything and get the benefit of it. Mm -hmm. So great. And if I, so, so how's it going to make me feel like, where are we going? What are we doing? You know, um, it's kind of like, what do you stand for? The whole world's now breaking into tribes. Where's our tribe going? What are we all doing? So I've sense a community. So you get more power. If you have 10 people, if, 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 let's say you've got 10, 10 customers, right? You will get more, more. I think I could sum it up this way. And you'll, your people make a point. I used to run events, as you know. Towards the end of the days, I actually didn't need to be there. People were no longer there for me. They were there for the community of the event, the, the community that came from the event. So if Rick just didn't turn up, that just no longer mattered because people were coming for that whole experience and the feeling that they got and the moment they got of the, the tribe all meeting up. So if you're going to have, if you want a lot of bunch of clients, how are they going to, like community is very, very important. And uh, the thing called the blue zones, which is where the five places in the world where people live the longest and the healthiest, there's only five, they're called the blue zones. And all of them have a big sense of community. So instead of them all going home to their houses at night at 6.30 and watching TV, they all hang out with each other till about 10, turn 30. It's a big sense of community. So when you build a community within an organization, I tell you, if you're going to coach with me, you're not going to coach with me. We're all going to coach each other. Yeah, wow, how does that work? I want to be a part of that. Everybody love that sense of community. Provide a sense of community. Give people a feeling, an association, and a connection, and make them feel like they're part of a special tribe. That is what you want to promote, not the fact that I have 57 pages in a book with 91 different tools. Do you understand? Like that's what you might have, but people don't want that. People mm -hmm. want the result of having that. So I'm listening, Rick, and as you're speaking, I'm thinking as business owners, we really do have to pay our dues and get the yeah. skulls on your back, on our back, yeah. as you often say, um, because you know, you talked about the power of reputation, the power of, oh, this person can help. And I know this because they helped so-and-so and they helped this other uh -huh. person. And you talked right. about the power of word of mouth. So it, it sounds like, and you also talked about how if you've been around long enough, your reputation will precede you and you'll get private money, you'll get all sorts of opportunities. So, um, so then I think business owners would do well to hang around long enough to stay in the game, get the scars on their back, however many years it takes. 
Can you speak to that? Can you speak to how it was before you had, before you were established, before you became a household name in your industry? And that's how it is. Unfortunately, millennials, millennials is a body of people that want it all tomorrow. Okay? <laughs> I understand it. That's millennials. They want it all tomorrow, but they don't understand that the world will not be an acceptance of that. They won't because you, you can't have it all tomorrow. So if a 23-year-old kid or 24-year-old kid is starting to talk about self-development and all this sort of stuff and this and world, well, the rest of the world goes, well, hang on. You've only been on the planet 24 years. What do you actually know? It's very hard for you to buy in the credibility. Let me give you a story that I want you to, to make the point. Back in about 1988, 1989, when I used to do um, some stuff in the US for, for Fox Television, at the time, I was doing a TV show over there. I created a show called The Couch Critic, which probably could probably people find reruns on YouTube. But when it was finished, I ended up working in a bar in Dallas, Texas, called the West End. There was a big section of where all the bars and the clubs were. It was probably like, like Soho or something in London, right? Mm -hmm. And there were these four girls. And every night I used to come out and they'd play fiddles and guitars and had a hat and they'd play little songs and carry on. And this went on for ages and ages and ages. And guys would boo and hiss at them and try to pick them up and say sleazy things. And it was a pretty rough tumble part of town. And one day, one of the boyfriends got sick of it and he grabbed his girlfriend and he said, this is too dangerous. I'm not going to let you do this anymore. There were three girls left. And I was in the bar across the road and I walked over there and said, I'm all right. I said, um, what are you going to do now? There's only three of you. And he said, you know, I don't know, but I think the first thing we're going to do is just change our name, but we're not going to stop. I said, oh, we're going to call yourself. He said, well, we've just come up with this name called the Dixie Chicks. What do you think? And I said, Dixie Chicks, that sounds like a name that's pretty sexy. I think that'll actually work for you. 15 years later, when the Dixie Chicks were the biggest female act across the United States, the media marketed them as an overnight sensation. From absolutely nowhere to now sweeping America, the famous Dixie Chicks. I was like, no, they were doing 16 years earlier in the gutters in Dallas, Texas. My point is this really isn't such a thing as an overnight sensation. Like for instance, let's say you go to the doctor, you have a heart attack, right? And you say, get me the best surgeon. The guy says to you, he says, let me ask you something. Uh, the best surgeon's not here, but I'm pretty good. I read the books yesterday on Monday and I had some practice on Tuesday, but I'm mm -hmm. ready to cut you up today. How would you be feeling about that right now? Mm -hmm. So people, you would buy into the guy that's been around for a while and sometimes uh, you're just going to be around. The only way, and I'm going to say that, and I'm going to say one more thing, which is going to sound like it's going to contradict it. There's a lot of money you spend in business. Understand two things. Money either comes in your business or goes out of your business. And the marketing and the sales side brings money in. And all the other sides of your business takes money out. Admin, research events, books, production, cost. Everything else bleeds cash in a business except sales and marketing. They're the mm -hmm. two bits that bring the money in. So one of the things when you run a business, a lot of people spend a lot of money getting the business right and putting all their capital to getting the business right. Then they go out the door and they're not around very long. All the money should be allocated towards the sales and the marketing and a little bit can go to the business and stuff because... That keeps bringing the customers in. Again, your business won't go overnight. Remember when I did my first talk and you see me speak in some pretty big rooms. First people I spoke was nine people, nine, then 15, and then 35. Somebody said to me once, they said, God, Rick, don't you get nervous when you speak in front of 5,000 people? How did you get used to it? I said, easy, start with nine. Yep. <laughs> 15, 25, 35, 100. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, you're right though. As millennials, we want the microwave thing, the instant gratification thing. and But there's power in the years, in years of experience, in staying in the trenches. Well, give me something new. Give me something that 
everybody else is not doing, like you're doing something different, which is great. You're offering service. You're trying, it's great. I love your mission statement. Your mission statement is I'm not going to sell you anything. I won't sell you stuff, but I'll serve you. It's a great mission statement because it's got a point of difference. Do you mm -hmm. understand? Mm -hmm. So a lot of stuff, people are all about, oh, we're going to sell you stuff. So in marketing, we get what's called push and pull marketing. So a lot of stuff is people trying to push stuff on you, right? Now, the smart marketing is not push marketing. It's what's called pull marketing. Mm -hmm. So what you've done it is you've done this is like started selling your stuff. Because I want you to sell your stuff. I'll just service you and, uh, and then you'll come back and buy what you need. You see, no one likes to be sold, but everybody loves to buy. So what happens is if you service people, they're going to find that there's bits that they need they haven't got. And they're going to want to come back and buy from you. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Try to push them, they'll buy nothing because no one likes to be sold, right? Mm -hmm. So, so that's very powerful, and you've got a point of difference there that helps cut through the clutter because most other people have the same message. Yes, and the so service. Let's say I teach you. Go on. Go ahead. Well, let's say if I teach you all about a car, right? Let's say I used to say this: um, I'll give you this car for free, right? Get the concept. I'm going to give you a brand new car for free. Won't charge you a cent. Then I put 3,000 motor car parts on the side of the road, but they're all in parts. But I didn't charge a thing for the, for the car. It's absolutely free. Let me ask you something. Do you need any help putting it together? <laughs> mm -hmm. Understand? Now you're requesting and buying off me my knowledge and paying me for it to put together something that I gave you, but I didn't charge you for it. That's called pull marketing. Do you understand? That's the service. So I tell you, I'll provide a service for you. I'll give you everything you want. But if you want my service, so that's the switch right there. I'll give you everything you want. People used to say to me, they go, I, you, you, know, you teach people, but a lot of people teach people a little bit and give a lot of smoke and mirrors. And, and then they've got to buy more courses or more programs. My philosophy was, you give everybody everything you can possibly give them. Mm -hmm. The whole what? The whole whack. Everything. It's right there. Right? But then they're going to request me to do one thing. Help them break it down into nutsite pieces because they're really excited that they got everything. But now, the way the brain has to work, they have to know which bit to do first or how to, do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So again, that was between push and pull. Push is, push is, look, buy my course, buy my course, buy my course. And then when you finish that one, you have to buy the next one. You have to buy the next one to get all the ingredients. Otherwise, you've only got half the ingredients. Mm -hmm. Pull marketing is I'll give you everything. All the ingredients, they're all there. Okay, we're going to make a cake. There's every single thing you need to make the cake and it's on your kitchen counter. And I'm not charging you a cent for it. There you go. Now, for a man who's never made a cake before, look at 61 ingredients sitting on the kitchen counter. What's he going to ask me? Help. help yes, me. help. Correct. Correct. There you go. Do you understand? That's what's called pull marketing instead of push marketing. Let me ask you something. When you've asked me, when you asked me for help, did I sell you anything? Or did no. you just come and ask me for help? Okay, let me ask you something. When you come to ask me for my help, would it be okay if I charge for my time? Mm -hmm. Everybody's okay with you, I charge them for your time. Can you see the subtle change here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's why I like the position you're taking. Don't sell stuff to people. Service people, just like you're doing. Provide the services. And then people come back to you. And they buy our time versus the course. Yeah, well, because when people buy a course, um, people are always going to want the reassurance that they're doing what they're doing the right way. Mm -hmm. If I think about all the questions people have ever asked me, it's not about how does the tool work. It's just can I provide reassurance that how they're using the tool mm -hmm. is the correct way. Mm -hmm. Right? So give them the tools. People will then always say, Nancy, I've got a quick question for you. Can we just have some one-on-one -on -one time? Because I just want to tell you how I've been applying the tools 
and I just want to make sure I'm on the right track. Mm-hmm. Yep. Brilliant. Can yeah. I ask you uh, yeah. one last question? Can I ask you one last question, Rick? You can ask me as many as you like. I'll talk with a mouthful of marbles under wet cement. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My last question to you is about personality. Um, You know, one of the reasons I adored working with you at the time is because, you know, you're incredibly funny. Um, And and funny enough, um, I hired a coach a couple of years ago who also happens to be really funny. So I seem to be attracted to those personalities. Um, and it's interesting because that, that mentor that I'm talking about in real life, behind the scenes, he's actually pretty quiet and introvert. Um, so it's interesting that when he teaches, he's so entertaining and funny. I wonder if that's the same to you. My question is, what type of personalities do well in business, we're talking about making people feel relaxed, making them feel happy. Ah, no, 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 okay. something. Okay. There's two questions, but you've got to understand the answer to both of them. The reason why I'm funny is this. The way your brain takes in information, if it's light, bright, easy, your brain says you're learning something, okay? Light, bright, easy, I can do it. As long as it's delivered to you in light, bright, easy, I can do it, your brain says, this is easy. This is fun. I can do it. When it's delivered to you without humor, very seriously, then your brain goes, oh, this is pretty hard and complicated. I'm not too sure I can start right now. I, I better get in a, a this planner and that person and five other financial people. It's hard for the brain to move forward if it thinks the job is difficult. When you put humor in it, it's light, bright, easy. I can do it. And I learned that from Alan Pease. And if you ever knew any of his books, he said, what you do is you entertain people and give them good three good re- business reasons for the entertainment. You can't just entertain and tell people jokes. People don't see the value. But if you try to give people information, people can't use the information. But if you can drop information in humour, people can connect with it, bond it and use it. So there's actually a science behind that. So quite often when I was funny, and I'd come in the early days, especially Australia, I'd come in on a horse or come in as a heroin addict and do just outrageous, crazy stuff. It was memorable and it painted visual pictures in the, in the mind. So people always remember the content better. And the human, and look, I had many people for many years who would say, Rick, I need to go to your events for the jokes, right? Well, it didn't matter. But I also knew if that was the way that got them to learn the stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. Second thing was you asked me, what is the right personality in business? You know, like mm-hmm. I'm a certain personality. Um, is it going to be more successful than a very quiet person? No. The better question is, the question should not be, what is the right personality for business? That's not the right question. The question would be, in which part of a business is my personality right? Mm. Okay, so you identify not whether or not you're good in business or bad in business. You should always get in business everybody around you that's better than you and just understand that there's the disc principle, the four types of personalities, drivers, analyticals, expressives, and amiables. We won't get into that. But when you understand who you are and what you are, then you say, which part of the business is a good fit for me you have all the other bits. You just don't do them. For instance, you know, Jane, my wife, okay? Who do you think ran all the detail, all the structure, and made sure everybody t- and all the time? Do you think it was me or her? It was absolutely Jane, I remember. And everybody knows that. Do you understand? You couldn't leave something like that to me. Everybody would have <laughs> turned up in the wrong city on the wrong day. It just wouldn't have worked, right? So I had my talent. Do you understand? My talent was how do I get people who don't understand a very complicated subject and complicated and structure it in such a way that they can take that on board, get acceptance around it and use it. Okay. So that was, so I've provided those delivery vehicles to do that. But all the structure, that was her talent, absolute talent. So everybody 
is great for business. Just understand what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. For instance, what I should never do is I should never manage people. It is not my talent. It is a weakness. I'm very bad at it. Mm -hmm. So I can't say, you know what? I can't manage people. So I won't do that. So for instance, I work right now with a guy in Portugal and we've got a bit of a worldwide business. And I say, tell you what, there are those bits. You're good at it. You're going to manage these people. You do, it. You do that. I don't, I'm not good at it. What I am really good at, say, is creating an idea and thinking how it has a tool set. So for one of the things I'm doing is um, a lot of people are using now artificial intelligence. What they don't have are good language patterns inside that artificial intelligence that gets people to go along and do what it is they want people to do. So I rewrite um, artificial intelligence for companies and things, right? And restructure the language, which word went so that people will do the things you want the dynamics of the artificial intelligence to do. So that's my skill set there, right? But if you said go and program the computer, <laughs> no, 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 no. I have no idea. Everybody's good for business. Just understand which bit of the business you're best in and then just outsource all the other bits to people who are smarter than you. Never try to be the smartest man in the business. You've heard me say this. I'm always the second smartest man. When you're the second smartest man, everybody within humans, we have this thing that we always want to help people who are less fortunate than us. Mm -hmm. It's just how we are. We want to help people who are less fortunate than us. If I'm the second smartest man and the other people believe they're smarter than me, they'll always want to educate me and bring me up to their standard. If I promote myself as the smartest man, no one's going to want to educate me, right? They're going to feel intimidated. Comes back to something you said much, much earlier. That's why Jane used to hate the fact that I always looked like I only had $2 in my pocket and I wasn't very smart. So, so well, I learned a lot more this way, right? So always bring into a business people who are smarter than you and accept the fact that they're good at what they do. Um, they're not my skill sets. So everybody's right for business. It's just knowing which bit. If you're a bit of a, uh, an analytical, then maybe, you know what, um, I've got this other business, I, the other guy's really analytical. Drives me nuts, by the way. Can I just tell you, Nancy? It drives me crazy. He gets so buried in figures and stuff. Mm -hmm. But you know what? When it comes to making sure there's money in the bank account, and when it comes to make sure we're not spending too much money in relationship to how much comes in, he's really good. So that's that's his bit, right? Now he's smart at that, and he's great. Awesome, awesome. Oh, Rick, I could talk to you for hours. Um, but yeah, let's wrap up. Um, so many, so many notes I took today, so many insights, you know, about uh, how to make people feel good, having a mission statement, uh, taking people somewhere. Um, I've noticed that you told me a lot of stories. So every time you're teaching me something, you're, uh, you're teaching it with a story. I've noticed that as well. Correct. Yeah. Always teach people the story because people identify to the story and they bring their own imagination to the party. The imagination is very powerful. That's why the book, a movie is never as good as the book because in the book that you read, you brought your imagination. The movie that they made about the book, there is no imagination. It will never be as good as the book. That's why people say, book is so much better because your imagination. So tell a story and people can fill in all their own bits. And they go, I get it. Yes. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your generosity um, and for those wonderful stories that you gave us today. Um, what's your What's your song at the moment? What's What's the song that you want to share with us? I'll include it in the notes. Do you have you know, a song? One, one, yeah, because I have, and it's the same song I've been singing for forty years, and I only know four words of the song. But I'll sing it to you. Okay, it's now or never was one of Elvis Presley's famous songs, right? But for me, it's now or never. I can't even remember the rest of the words. So when I sing it, it's like, it's now or never, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> cool. It represents you really well. Thanks, Rick. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Wealth While You're Wealth show. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us about the next person you would like to see on the show. And we'd also love to know the next topic you'd like us to explore or anything else you want to discuss with us. 
As always, you can send in your burning questions and suggestions to info at nancyflowers.com. See you soon for another gorgeous conversation in the next episode.